Okay. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. As we are starting a new uh, teaching series this morning entitled Knowing the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I just want to thank, again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Um, you can follow us on our YouTube, on our YouTube channel, uh, which is Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Also on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. There's other ways you can get engaged. Uh, you can take free Bible classes. We have Bible studies. We'll talk about that in a minute. You can also donate online, and we thank you for those who have partnered with us. Uh, so we can continue doing what we do, bringing the gospel around the world and, uh, and to you. So anyway, uh, again, we're going to have a Bible study tonight at uh, Sunday, so at 6 o'clock. We'll be talking about the true nature of God. And then we have our Bible study on Wednesday nights about the new year and the Holy Spirit. And we're actually talking about the Holy Spirit. So we'll, over the next few weeks, we're going to be <coughs> talking about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights as well as Sunday mornings. And so I didn't necessarily plan that, but that's uh, that's uh, the agenda that God, God has, has us on. And so we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And so I believe it's very timely for the, uh, the day and age that we live in and uh, what's all that's going on in our world and all that's going on in the church uh, because in response to what's going on in the world and whatnot. So anyway, um, make sure you have your Bibles, your notes, and we get ready to, to dive into the Word with us this morning as we get into uh, the Word of God. So... <coughs> I'm excited about this new series. Uh, a couple months ago, the Lord began to put in my heart that I need to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And I, I, did, I did a message on uh, similar to this um, a couple years ago. I can't remember which year I did this. I talked about uh, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe was, that was the title of that series. But And I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We will eventually get into talking about tongues. We will eventually get into talking about the gifts we will eventually get into talking about the food of the Spirit. We will eventually get into talking about the gifts, as I just mentioned. We'll eventually get into talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But even though we're going to talk about those things, those are not going to be the main focus. Uh, and I'll tell you why as we go forward uh, more, more, more specifically. I'm going to be focusing this message on knowing the Holy Spirit, at least for the first part of it. Uh, the foundation of anything is very important. The foundation is we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need to know Him. We talk a lot about knowing the Father. We talk about, a lot about knowing Jesus. I mean, I just finished a series about the name of Jesus. And so, but we need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to know the, the you know, the Bible never tr uses the word Trinity, but it does use the word Godhead. And, 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 and it does use the three, the Godhead, interchangeably. From the, starting from Genesis chapter 1, it uses it. Um, not the word Godhead, but it, it talks about uh, uh, God uses the, uh, the Elohim. The word Elohim is used 2,600 times in the Old Testament. And it's the plural form of God. It's a plural form of God. So, so this, this concept of Trinity, even though the, that word is never used in Scripture... The Godhead is, and so uh, so we'll, we'll get into that. We're not going to jump into that right now, uh, but we're going to get into that eventually. And so we need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to have a we need to know who He is. And we're going to be also dealing in this series. We're going to be dealing with some mis uh, misperceptions of who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, there's those who ignore the Holy Spirit, want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, 
And there's those who are ignorant of the Holy Spirit, think they're operating the Holy Spirit, and they're really not. Uh, and so uh, we're going to deal with some of those things eventually. Uh, not so much off the back. We'll probably touch on a few things this morning. But we're, again, we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit, and, and we'll get into that. But before I go there, <coughs> before I get into kind of the heart of my message, even for this morning, I want to uh, introduce something that I, I've, I've done before. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 9. Uh, Leviticus is the third book of the Bible, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. I know we don't go there very often. But I believe all scripture testifies of Jesus. I believe if you see Jesus in the New Testament, you'll eventually see Jesus in the Old Testament. Because uh, the, the, Jesus said it this way, I think in John chapter 4 or 8, I forget which chapter it was. But he says, you search the scriptures, for they testify of me. And I, you know, I used to didn't like the book of Leviticus, but now I do. Uh, and, and, and because it points to the gospel. Now, as I'm going to go into the book of Leviticus here in chapter 9 here in just a moment. Again, we're going to be talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tie this in. And we're, we're going to look at some other things in, 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 uh, in a couple weeks as well. But the first five books of Leviticus is dealing with the five different offerings that were taking place. There's a sin offering. There's I don't I'm not I'm not gonna list them all because I don't have them all. I know I'm gonna list three of them that I remember. There's a sin offering, chapter one, and there's uh, excuse me, I said that backwards. There's the burn offering <coughs> in chapter one. There's a sin offering in chapter four, and there's a peace offering. I forget which chapter that. Each of those five chapters deal with the five different offerings. These five offerings point to the cross. These five offerings point to a different aspect aspect of what Jesus accomplished through the cross. The ones that I usually highlight the most is the burnt offering and sin offering. The burnt offering, the sin offering has to do with Jesus taking our sin and crucifying it. Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin, that's the sin offering, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the burnt offering. The, the burnt offering has to do with Jesus' righteousness being exchanged to us. The sin offering has to do with our sin going to Jesus. And there's this great exchange. Jesus became our sin, and we became, <coughs> excuse me, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the, in, the, in the book of Leviticus, the first five chapters, he's dealing with these different sin offerings. Between Leviticus chapter 6 and 9, he's given some other instructions to the priesthood, to, to Aaron and the priesthood, about these sacrifices and whatnot. Um, but, uh, and, uh, but then we get to chapter 9. In chapter 9, he's, doing, he's been doing also with the tabernacle, and building the tabernacle, and all the instructions into the tabernacle. And now they're ready. The, the, the in Leviticus chapter nine, the temple, the tabernacle has been built. It's been constructed, and now they're ready to dedicate this tabernacle. They're ready, in one sense, like a grand opening. They're ready to open the doors and put this thing to work. And so, uh, so uh, you're in Leviticus chapter nine. Pick it up. Uh, go with me to verse five. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Some of it can get a little gory, <laughs> and we're not going to focus on that. And so they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. And all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Verse 6. 
Then Moses said, This is the thing which I, the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, <coughs> excuse me, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf and the sin offering which was for himself. And then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. I'm not going to continue reading here. Skip down to verse 22. So he, uh, basically what I'm skipping, he, he, he's performing the sin offering, he's performing the burnt offering, he's performing the peace offering. I'm, I'm just skipping all those details. Verse 22, And then Aaron lifted his hand towards the people, blessed them, and came down <coughs> from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. In verse 24, And the fire came out of, from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What's going on here? God gave them very specific instructions about the priesthood. He gave them very specific instructions about the sin offering, the burnt offering, and all these offerings. He gave them instructions how to build a tabernacle. They followed the instructions. And specifically here, they're yes, they're dedicating the tabernacle, but they just performed the first sin offering, the first burnt offering, and the peace offerings as they were instructed. And then a fire, verse 24, came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. The fire didn't come from man. Aaron didn't light a torch. He didn't have one of those little lighters. He didn't light, light the fire. God lit the fire. But I want you to go back with me real quick to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 12, just for a moment. <coughs> and he, God gives him other instructions here. He says, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering on it, and it shall burn on it the fat and the of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar, and it shall never go out. God, we see in verse, and uh, we see in Leviticus chapter nine, verse twenty-four. God lit the fire, but God told the priesthood of Aaron that this fire was to never go out. Now we're going to come back to some of this in a minute, but go with me now to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, we'll pick it up in verse. Uh, we'll pick up chapter 5. 
And let's look at verse one, the first few verses of chapter 5. Now, what's going on in Second Chronicles? <coughs> Second Chronicles is the dedication of Solomon's temple. We were just in Leviticus chapter 9, the dedication of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses. Now we're dedicating Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was a, in one sense, was a replica, replica of uh, the tabernacle, but it was built with gold. It was built with precious metals and whatnot. Uh, the other one was basically a tent. This one is a, a building, okay? There's a lot more detail than that, but uh, in simplicity, let's just keep it that, at that. Here we are, Second Chronicles chapter 5, a totally not, different generation, but Solomon's temple. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Verse 2. Now Solomon assembled the elders of the Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in, in the seventh month, until all the elders of Israel came and the Israelites took up the ark. Now I'm going to just pause there for a moment. I'm not going to read all this detail because this... Uh, this is three chapters long. Uh, all the detail goes all the way to Second Chronicles chapter seven, where we're, which we're going to pick it up in just a moment. So you know, uh, when uh, Moses built the tabernacle and they were ready to dedicate it and ready to perform the first offerings and dedicate the tabernacle, all, the whole congregation assembled. Here in, in in Solomon's temple, they built the temple like they were supposed to. And then they're going through the same, uh, we're going to see here in just a moment in chapter 7, they're going to perform the same burnt offering, same sin offering, all those same things that, that Aaron did in, in Leviticus chapter 9. But now we're in Solomon's temple. And all this, and, but here we see all the people assembled. Now fast forward to me to chapter 7, Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to tie all this into the Holy Spirit in just a few moments, so bear with me. I love how all scripture comes together to make one message. And when Solomon had finished, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying, he had a long prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on, on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground and the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For the, he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. This is just a beautiful scene. I just love both of these two scenes. They prepare, prepare all the sacrifices like they were, they were instructed to. All these sacrifices represent Jesus. All these sacrifices are a typology, an allegory of what Jesus accomplished for us to the cross. And then the fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and filled his house with glory. Okay? Now, uh, go with me to the book of Haggai. Haggai, or Haggai. That's in the Old Testament. And if you go to the 
the book of Malachi and you go backwards three books. If you go to Malachi and go backwards three books, you'll come to the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters long. So again, go to Malachi and then go backwards three books to the book of Haggai or Haggai. Okay? And we're going to go to chapter 2. And we're going to uh, pick it up in verse 3 in just a second. Okay? I just want you to get, give you time to turn there. Haggai chapter 2. Go to book, go to the book of Malachi, which is the end of the Old Testament. Go backwards three books to the book of Haggai or Haggai. Now, let me explain what's going on, just like I did the other three times. What's going on in Haggai? This is after they have been in exile. This is after Jerusalem has been destroyed. Solomon's temple has been destroyed. Uh, they've been invaded. They've been taken over by the Babylonians. Babylonians. By Babylon. Let me just put it that way. Okay. And uh, they've been in, they've been in uh, captivity for seventy years. And through through Nehemiah, Ezra was also involved, and others. They went back to build the temple. Haggai is a prophet during this time. <clears throat> Nehemiah is what I call governor. He was he was in ch kind of in charge, but and Ezra was also uh, was a priest, and he was a, he he was uh, involved. But here we here we have uh, Haggai. He's a prophet now. When they went back, yes, we have the all Nehemiah story about building the wall. We have Ezra's story. But they were instructed to do one thing first, and that was rebuild the temple. <laughs> that was their instructions. Nothing wrong with having their own houses. Nothing wrong with some of the other things that we're going to do. But their priority was to build the, te the, the temple of God. Their priority was to rebuild the temple. And as they built the temple, they got distracted. This is all in chapter 1 of Haggai, and we're not going to go there right now. But they got distracted and began to build their own homes instead of the temple. Nothing wrong with building their own homes, but they were doing that instead of. Their priorities shifted. They started well, but then they started building their own homes instead, and they began to neglect the house of God. That's a whole message inside, inside itself. We can, we can speak to that. How many of you know that our relationship with God needs to be our priority? We're going to get into some of that in just a moment. <clears throat> but they got distracted. God rebuked them. They changed their ways. They went back to building the temple. But then they got discouraged because the temple they were rebuilding didn't look like anything like Solomon's. You know, if you have Solomon's temple and it's been told that it was the most beautiful temple of all times. We, throughout history, throughout the world, we see all these cathedrals and beautiful uh, uh, buildings. They're not quite my taste, but there's still a lot of architecture, a lot of art goes into that and whatnot. <clears throat> but they began to rebuild the temple, and it wasn't as beautiful before. You ever break something that was very valuable to you, and then you try to rebuild it, and it doesn't look anything like it was before? You know, and you just you just they're discouraged, and God, and that's what's going on right here in chapter two. They're discouraged. They're they're looking at their 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 the rebuilding of the tabernacle or the temple, and it doesn't look anything like Solomon's. And so there's a scourge. And so here we pick up in verse 3. 
Haggai chapter 2 verse 3. He says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? <coughs> Excuse me. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And be strong, all of your people of the land, says the Lord, and work for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, <coughs> it is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory, verse 9, excuse me, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, there's a lot being said here, but although it might not look as pretty as Solomon's temple, God says the glory that fills this latter temple will be greater than the glory that filled the former temple. Now with all that in mind, we looked at, we looked at Moses' tabernacle and the fire came from heaven. We looked at Solomon's temple and the fire came from heaven. We look at the rebuilding of the temple through Haggai and what God said. Now let's go, let's switch gears for a moment. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 16. And Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul is saying here in the New Testament, and we at the church need to hear this, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. You. Okay, with that in mind, uh, fast forward to chapter 6. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll kind of repeat the same thing, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm just making one simple point here, that here in the New Testament, we, church, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We looked at Solomon's, I mean, we looked at Moses' tabernacle. We've seen Solomon's temple. We've seen the re rebuilding of the temple through Haggai. Now, God, Paul, Paul in the New Testament says, we are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And I always say this when I go to Hebrews. Who is the Hebrews written to? The Hebrews. It's written to the Jews. But and I, I, there's a lot being said here in chapter 3, but I just want to make one simple point. Hebrews chapter 3. It says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Again, I'm just making a simple point. There's a lot being said here, but I just want to extract this one point out. We are the house of God. We are the temple of God. Okay? I know I'm doing a lot of churning, but let's turn one more time. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I'm not spending a lot of time on these verses because they're not my main point in and of themselves, but collectively they are pointing, painting the picture. But in Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Church, we are the tabernacle of God. We are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not made with hands, but by the Spirit. Are you getting the picture? We are the temple of God. Haggai says he will fill this house with greater glory. He says the time has not yet come, but it will come in a little while. I believe Haggai was speaking of this latter reign, the latter glory, the latter temple, which is us, the church of the living God. Okay, with that in mind, go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. This is where a lot of you thought I would start. <laughs> but I, I painted the picture to get to here. Now we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts today. But I do want to set the, the stage for this message. And we'll come back and we'll spend more time in here in a few weeks. Okay? Because I'm not so much talking about Pentecost, even though I'm going to uh, refer to it off and on. I will, we will deal with this, and we will talk about this in depth. But I'm talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But, I'm, I, but as I get into talking about knowing the Holy Spirit, I want some of these things in, our, in, the, behind, in the backdrop. I want some of these things in our mind. I want some of these things to be out there. But here we have Pentecost. What's going on at Pentecost? And we're going to spend a little more time on this. We're going to probably spend a whole uh, lesson on some of this stuff. But Christ just went to the cross. Christ had just resurrected from the dead. And in chapter 1 of Acts chapter 1, he just went to heaven. Pentecost, you know what the word Pentecost means? Fifty. That's all it means. It's 50. It, it, a little more than that, but it's fit, basically 50 days. And we're, we're gonna sp we'll spend more time talking about that a little bit later. Don't, don't get caught up in that right now. We'll spend time on that a little bit later. But it's 50 days. God's always on time. And, and we're going to look at this uh, in a little more detail later. But 50 days. He had, Jesus had already rose from the dead. 
He ministered for 40 days, talking about the, king, the, the, the kingdom of God. We see that in Acts chapter 1. And then there was a 10-day gap between his ascension and Pentecost. And that's when they were in the upper room praying in one accord. We deal with that at the, begin, uh, in, at the, at the end of chapter 1. And so, the, and again, the reason I want to, I, I'm saying some of this stuff, remember back in Leviticus chapter 9, and also in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and 6, even though we didn't read all that, that they were going through the sacrifices, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering. Remember I told you that the first five books in Leviticus are dealing with these five different offerings that point to the cross, that point to what Jesus did. Well, Jesus just, and they all point to what just happened 50 days ago. Through the cross. Through the cross and the resurrection, all these sacrifices pointed to what Jesus accomplished through the cross. They were all a type, all these sacrifices, all these, uh, uh, lack of a better term, rituals, were an illustration of what Jesus did. They were all a foreshadow. You know, uh, if you shine light on me in, in a certain way, there's going to be a shadow of me behind. A shadow is not me. You need to watch Peter Pan. Peter Pan has a shadow. He's chasing his shadow. You know, but at the same point in time, we understand what a shadow is not the real deal. Now, my shadow will be a silhouette of me. It should. It should look somewhat like me, but it's not me. It's just my shadow. The, the New Old Testament is just a foreshadow meaning it was before. It's just a shadow of the real deal. The real deal is Jesus. Don't get caught up in the shadow like Peter Pan. Get caught up in the real deal. In the Old Testament, all they had was a shadow. But we have the real deal. We have Christ. We have the real... Not that Christ wasn't real then too, but they didn't have the revelation of Jesus and whatnot. But... Remember, they went in both in Leviticus chapter 9 and also 2 Chronicles chapters 5 through 7. They performed the sacrifices and then this fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Well, Christ just went to the cross. He just rose from the dead. He just ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Where did the fire come in Leviticus 9.24 and 2 Chronicles chapter 7? It came from heaven. And as of a rushing mighty wind, we're going to spend one whole hour on talking about this wind. So um, we're not going to do that today. And as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Did not the glory... Of and Moses' tabernacle filled the whole tabernacle? Did not the glory in Solomon's temple fill the whole, 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 whole tabernacle? Didn't Haggai say that the glory that fills this, this latter house will be greater than that that filled the former house? I mean, it was, it was so, the glory was so big in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 that the priest couldn't even go in. And Haggai said the glory that fills this latter house will be even greater. And we read... Four scriptures in, in Corinthians and Hebrews, how we are the house of God. And God is going to fill us with his glory. And here we have a, a literal manifestation of that. Here in the New Testament, that 
as after the cross, at, Jesus comes and uh, he said he talks about the Holy Spirit who will come. And we'll spend a lot of time with that. And, and, and he says, And suddenly there came a sound from a heaven, heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll talk about tongues more towards the, uh, the latter part of our series. But we'll eventually get there. Okay? That's all, that's all introduction <laughs> to where I'm going, going with some of this. But go with me to John chapter 14 real quick. John 14. I want to switch gears a little bit. That's, uh, that's some of the backdrop that I want uh, us to have. And we'll be keep referring to some of these things as we go forward. But in Acts, John chapter 14. Now, what's going on here? In John 13, 14, 15, 16, and even part of 17, is right before we go to the cross. Jesus. And Jesus is spending some very intimate time with his disciples. And specifically in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus spends a lot of teaching. There's a lot of teaching going on here. And it's about a lot, a lot of it in these three chapters is about the Holy Spirit. Okay? And Jesus says something here in, in John 14, beginning with verse 12. All three chapters are beneficial. We'll, we'll, we'll be picking up some nuggets as we go forward. But he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, now, we should spend some time on this as we were talking about the name of Jesus. And I spent a lot of time on this in other messages, and we'll probably refer to it as we go forward. But in these three chapters, I just want to use this to springboard this part off, is that Jesus is, in these three chapters, and I'm not going to read all those verses right now. We're going to get to some of these ver verses a little bit later. Jesus is talking about this Holy Spirit, this helper, this counselor, this the spirit of truth, our teacher who will come. And uh, and, um, and so, so we need this. But I also want to make note of something else that I, just, I mentioned at the beginning. Remember back in the book of Leviticus, I had you go to chapter 6, where God told... Moses and the priesthood, that this fire should never go out. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to light the fire, but it's your responsibility to make sure the fire doesn't go out. Go with me to the Second Timothy, chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 6. Now, I'm going to toggle real quick to the NIV. I don't use the NIV very often. But I do want to use it in this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Again, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And Paul is instructing... Who's Timothy? Timothy is a young pastor that Paul is mentoring. He's his he's he's a apprentice. Okay? I like you looking at it. He's his disciple. So... Paul has been discipling Timothy as a young pastor. But we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. 
And Paul says this, For this reason I remind you, to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. And I like the NIV because it talks about fanning the flame. The I forget how the New King James reads it. I'll toggle there real quick. They remind you to stir up the gift. But the NIV called fanning the flame. I like that. You know, and so there's a flame. When, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to spend some time on this, there's a fire. And I mean, John the Baptist talked about how Jesus, uh, he was going to baptize with water, but Jesus will come one day and baptize us with fire. We're going to talk about that in, in the weeks to come. I know I'm just throwing a lot of nuggets out here. And we'll spend some time on some of these things as we go forward. But now let's switch gears. Let's go to the book of Acts one more time. And let's go to chapter 1. I know I'm giving you a lot of finger exercise this morning, turning your Bibles. It'll slow down here a little bit. We'll, we'll get into some, uh, some teaching. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus makes a statement here. And he's actually answering a question. Disciples are asking. He, Jesus, just, you get, Jesus is getting ready to be ascended to heaven. And the disciples just ask him, are you at this time going to establish your kingdom? Jesus' response was, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. But he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power. This power, this word dunamis. In the Greek, it means, it's like dynamite power. It's, it's, I've done a study on this before. It's, a, it's, the, the, it's the, the power of the nature of God. We inherit this power by nature when we become born again and through the Holy Spirit. Paul also uses this word power. Go to me another scripture real quick. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 16. I'm going to slow down with the scripture turning just after, after this uh, next passage or two. Okay? Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, which is basically the thesis of the book of Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, what is? The gospel. The gospel of Christ is the power, dunamis, of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, in what? The gospel. In this gospel, that's the power of God, it, in, in it the righteous God is revealed from faith to faith, just as, the, just as it is written, the just shall live by his faith. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I just want to tie this in. That this same word dunamis, the same word power, is the gospel of God. God. The gospel is the power of God. Now I'm going to spend more time on this as we go forward. <clears throat> but I want to make a statement right here. You know, 
Actually, uh, uh, let me just look at this real quick. You were in verse 17, right? Scroll down to verse 20 real quick. I don't necessarily quote here from a lot, but it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead, till the day are without excuse. God is revealing his power, dunamis, and the Godhead, which includes the Holy Spirit in, his, in creation. God, I mean, if you studied out, if you studied out Romans 1.20, there is this intuitive knowledge that we all have. Whether you are saved or whether you are not saved, there is this intuitive knowledge this inner witness of the divine nature of God, of his power and the Godhead. You might suppress it, you might ignore it, you might not understand it, but there is the, this revelational knowledge that every creature, every man has of the power of God and of the Godhead. God has revealed this to all mankind. Now, my, we, I think most of us understand most non-believers have either rejected or suppressed or have not come in connection with this. But there is, some, there is an intuitive knowledge that all mankind has about the Godhead, which includes the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this also tells me that it could, the language here says that so that we are without excuse. We, there is coming a day when we will not have an excuse for not knowing that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can talk about the power too. But there is this intuitive knowledge that God says to Paul that we all have. Because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm setting up some backdrop right now. I'm going to get into deeper, deep, deeper teaching here. But there is this intuitive knowledge that we of the Godhead, which includes the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, with all that being said, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 17. Now, we're going to be switching... Some gears, okay? First Corinthians chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom, wisdom of words, that the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's that dunamis again. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the wor world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign... And the Greeks seek out their wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There's that word dynamis again, power of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring nothing to things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, dunamis. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power, dunamis, of God. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 6. However, we speak wisdom. Among those who are mature, not yet, yet, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of glory. God just told us in chapter 1 that this wisdom is the cross. This wisdom is Jesus Christ. This wisdom of God. Which, verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The cross. Everything Jesus did through the burnt offering and the sin offering, which, which speaks towards the cross, was the wisdom of God. If the devil had known the wisdom of God in the, in the, in the cross, they would never have crucified Jesus. But that was the wisdom of God. That was the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And I'm going to tie this into the Holy Spirit in just a moment. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There's a lot being said here. I know I read a lot of context. I basically almost read two chapters. I want to read verse 12 again. We, now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by 
God. You know, I can talk about Pentecost, and we will. I can talk about the fire coming from heaven, and we will. I can talk about a mighty rushing wind, and we will. I can talk about the gifts, and we will. I can talk about tongues, and we will. And we'll talk about these different things. But we have the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. I want to piggyback something also earlier. Uh, uh, verse 4. Paul says, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Church, we shouldn't just, we need to preach the gospel. But there should be also a demonstration of that gospel in power. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about that power. But let me just say this. And, and, and I'll get into this a little more deeper later. There's nothing more powerful than seeing a life change. You can tell me how the gifts moved. You can tell me how you saw a sign and a wonder. And I praise God for those things. And I'm not trying to water some of that stuff down. But there's nothing more powerful than seeing a life change. If all you saw was a sign and a wonder, but no, no life got edified, no life got changed, no life received Christ, then what benefit was that? Other than you having a good moment. And I'm not saying it's wrong to having a good moment. I'm not saying some of those things are not, I'm not necessarily saying some of those things are or not of God. We'll get into some of that stuff. But there's nothing more powerful. That we, that we just read in First Corinthians. Why did I read some of that stuff? Because the power of God, the wisdom of God is the cross. The gospel is the power of God. And the Spirit of God, and we're going to get into this a lot more deeper, the Spirit of God it will always lead us to Jesus. Will always magnify Jesus. Will always reveal Jesus to us. And, if, and the greatest miracle of all is someone who has become born again. And if we're just going through a spiritual moment, lack of a better term, just to have a spiritual moment, but no one comes away from that receiving Christ or being reminded who they are and what they have in God, then to me, I'm like, what's the point? I'm not, in, I mean, again, I'm not interested in just having a spiritual moment. And I'm not saying we can't have spiritual, we, have, we can have dreams, we can have signs, we can have wonders, and we are not seeing enough of them. We need to see them more. But at the same point in time, those signs and wonders are not just so we can have signs and wonders. If that's all you want, I'm not interested. I'm interested in seeing lives change. Real people's lives change by the glory of God, by the Spirit of God. So they can not only be born again, but they can walk a life in the Spirit. Am I making sense? And I'm saying this in prerequisite some of the things we're going to get into. I'm trying to steer this now, the direction of this message, into a new direction. Because, because, because I, I'm, I'm, I haven't got there yet. I haven't got to my main, my, my, my main points yet. I'm tapping into some of them a little bit. But I'm t the title of this message is about knowing the Holy Spirit. It's about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not about putting on a show. It's not, we are not a circus. And I don't mean to offend anybody, 
But there are some churches operating under the spiritual gifts that is nothing but a circus without the animals. But some of them are behaving like animals. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be offensive. <coughs> but I want the real deal. I want the reason why the Holy Spirit came. Je and we're going to get into it. Jesus said, it's better that I go that the Holy Spirit will come. Why? Just so we can have a show? Because some of the, what we call spiritual is confusing to the world. It's very confusing. It, that, where they want nothing to do with God. That is, and if, if the show that we are putting on makes people not want anything to do with God, that is not the Spirit of God. I'm, I'm not trying to attack something. It should draw people to Jesus. When you see someone get healed, when you see a miracle or whatever, and it, it, it intrigues them to know God, to want a relationship with God, that's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into some of this. I just want to throw this out there because we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. Now, the, 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 the Holy Spirit is not going to draw you away from God. It's going to draw you to God. None of us became born again without the Holy Spirit drawing you. He might have used your pastor. He might have used your parents. He might have used your spouse. He might have used somebody. He might have used a five-year-old boy, a five-year-old child. But he used somebody to draw you in by the Holy Spirit. Nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. The Holy Spirit will draw you to God, not away from God. Confusion is not God. That's the devil. He's a spirit of confusion. But the Holy Spirit reveals the things of God. Reveals God. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He's our helper. But there's some things that are done in the name of God and in the name of Spirit. That, that's, why, that's why some people are, e are either, they're either ignoring, you know, there's two camps. There's almost three camps. There's those who, are, there's a healthy camp about the Holy Spirit. There's those who are ignoring the Holy Spirit because they don't want nothing to do with it. Why? Because some of the church is just acting like a bunch of monkeys. And I, again, I'm not trying to be rude or be mean. But then there's some who, who are, uh, who, 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 they're not ignoring the Holy Spirit, but they are ignorant of the Holy Spirit. They are ignorant of what the Holy Spirit... And Paul said to the church at Corinth who was, didn't, was, out of, was out of control with the gifts, he said, I would not have you, brethren, to be ignorant of the gift of God. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He also doesn't want us to ignore. And we can be on two extremes where we're ignoring the Holy Spirit altogether or we are ignorant thinking it is the Holy Spirit when it's not. I want to be in the middle camp where I am I'm embracing the spirit of the living God and I, because I'm operating in the spirit of God, people are being drawn to God. We're salt. We're the salt of the earth. Salt is to make people thirsty for the gospel. But how many of you know if you get too much salt, you don't want it? I don't like salt water. I don't like getting out in the ocean. Some people do. Because I don't like feeling salty. You know? We were talking about the other day, my, uh, Sharon and I, you know, trail mix. I don't like trail mix. She does. Um, but I, you know, like, well, there's M&Ms in it. 
I love M&M's, but I don't like them in the trail mix. Why? Because usually they're salty. And once you get the salt on something, even though it has a hard shell like M&M, you just can't get it off. It just, it, you know, I like M&M's, but I don't like salty M&M's. You know, I mean, I like nuts and I like salt on those. I don't want too much salt. Some of these, some of these jars and cans are just too much salt. Some are just not enough, you know. And so salt is supposed to be a good, but there's, you just, you know, Sherry, my wife, Sherry bakes, and something just has a pinch of salt. And some things have too many pinches. Something, some, and, and some ingredients, if you don't put that pinch of salt, you just ruin the whole thing. <coughs> you can't put, it, 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 it seems like a very small amount, a very small ingredient, but that salt can make it either, if you have too much, you ruin the recipe. And if you don't have enough, you ruin the recipe. And yet you need the right amount. And we need the right amount. And we need to operate in the Holy Spirit so we can bring people to the God. But we don't want to, we don't want to be, see, the, I'll get into this later. The Holy Spirit reveals the mysteries of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't become a mystery all of itself. <laughs> Some people are operating the Holy Spirit and everything they do is mystical. It's weird. But the, and, and you know, and, but and tons is weird to some people because people, some people don't use it right. But tons is a powerful thing. God never gives you something that's not powerful and that's not effective and not useful. But if you don't know how to use it, it has no value. And actually you you distort its value by misusing the gift of God. I'm, not, I'm barely getting into some of this stuff. It's not, a lot of what I just shared is a backdrop of some things. But it's not really the heart of my message. And you can be confused by all that. The fire and the different things. And it's awesome. The people were in awe. The people were... I mean, it would, I would have loved to have seen it. But at the same point in time, as awesome as that was, there is nothing more powerful than the gospel. And I can... Right, let's go to a couple of scriptures real quick. Uh... I'm going to get ahead of myself, but uh, I want you to see something. Well, actually, we just quoted it. We quoted it right here. Uh, go back to verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Second Corinthians 8, uh, 2, verse 9. He's quoting. And we can find that in a couple different scriptures. Jesus talks about it. Paul's talking about it. There's some, thing, there's some things that Jesus said that we think that the Red Sea would have been awesome. We think this glory come from heaven would have been awesome. But Jesus says they would have rather seen our day. Did you get that? We think we would rather have seen their day. But Jesus said, no, they, the prophets, would have rather seen our day. Folks, we have something in the Holy Spirit that the world doesn't have and the world can't take away. We have, and Jesus said, what we have in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it is better than I go. We think walking with Jesus for three and a half years would have been awesome. But Jesus says, and we're going to get into this, having the Holy Spirit is more awesome than having Jesus in the flesh walking with you for three and a half years. 
I know some of us can't, can't fathom that. But what we have, Jesus says it's expedient that I go, that the Holy Spirit will come. And his disciples who had just been with him for three and a half years didn't understand that before the Holy Spirit come. But they also weren't seeing 3,000 people being saved every day before he had come. They, you know, uh, anyway, I'm getting ahead of, ahead of a lot of stuff. See, Paul demonstrated. Uh, well, uh, let's go back to verse 4 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. <coughs> you know, we're going to talk about the power. A lot of us want to see the miracles, and I, I'm with you, I do too. We want to see the healings and the miracles and the signs and the wonders, and I do too. Like I said before, we're not seeing them enough. Why? Because the church is asleep. And the church does not know what they have. And we're not seeing enough, and I say that to, in lack of a better term, our shame. We need to see them more. But the signs and the wonders are not the goal. The signs and wonders are a tool to bring people to the kingdom. The goal is a relationship if, you do, if, if all you see is signs and wonders and you do not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you are missing out. Praise God for the signs and wonders and we are, we are in lack of them. And we need to see them more. The world needs to see the church being powerful. The, word need, the word, world needs to see not just words but a demonstration of the Spirit. But the de demonstration to me is a bell to bring people to the kingdom. They're not the goal, they are a tool. And if you misuse, if you make the tool the goal, you know, we have, uh, uh, this is probably a silly illustration, but we have a vacuum. The vacuum is a tool to car clean the carpet. The goal is not to have a vacuum, the goal is to have clean carpet. That's the goal. We have a mop. It's not very pretty. But it has a goal to clean the floors. And this is probably a silly illustration, but it's just like the goal is not to have a mop. The goal is to have clean floors. The, and the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a movement. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a he. It's a person. And just as you can have a relationship with the Father, and you should, just as you can have a relationship with Jesus, and you should, you need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And out of that relationship should flow signs and wonders and the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that, those signs and wonders is to let people know the wonderful works of God. Even go, go with me back, back in Acts chapter 2 real quick. We're going to spend more time here. But Acts chapter 2. Remember that filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in tongues. Go with me to jump down to verse 9. Uh, no, actually, uh, that's not it. Uh, it. Keep there. I'll find the right verse. Oh, verse 11 is it. Um, there's a lot here, but I just want to tie in the one thing, is that they all begin to hear the gospel. They all begin to hear... 
And the reason, why were they here? There was a lot of people here because there was a feast. And we're going to talk about this feast a little bit later. But there was a feast that was going on that all speaks to Pentecost. And we're going to talk about how, the, how Pentecost was even preached in the Old Testament, in the Levitical laws. But anyway, but I want to pick it up here. I didn't really want to read all these names. But verse 11, the Cretans, Arabs, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. The tongues, the gifts are all going to magnify God. The wonderful works of God. And the tongues are not the, they're a tool, they're a powerful tool. And we'll talk about that. They're not from the devil, as some people erroneously teach. They're from God. But they speak the wonderful works of God. And so we'll be talking about that. But there's a point I wanted to make here. Because Paul said, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I had to go to, back to 2 Corinthians uh, 2.4. 4. He says, uh, let me just read it to you. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. You know, Paul demonstrated what he was taught through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. He did not just preach doctrine. He lived it and proved the vitality of the doctrine through miraculous signs and wonders. This is a pattern, I believe, that all of us as ministers, because we're all able ministers of the New Covenant, should follow. See, in the book of Acts, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but in the book of Acts, not much attention is given to the signs and wonders of Paul's ministry through his missionary journeys. Mainly the book of Acts talks about his missionary journeys, the spread of the Gospels to the Gentiles and whatnot. But if you, if you study the book of Acts and you study some of the other books, and you don't have to turn to some of these, but let me just highlight a couple things. In Paul's first missionary journey on Cyprus, uh, Limas, the sorcerer, was smitten by God. There was a supernatural sign, a wonder there. In Acts 14, in Lystra, a crippled man walked and who had never walked before. In Acts 4, again in Acts 14, supernatural power when he, uh, was given to Paul when he was stoned and left for dead, and God miraculously raised him up from the dead. In the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, there was a spirit of divination cast out of a girl. Also in Acts 16, the miraculously, uh, 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 Paul and Silas were miraculously delivered from the Philippian jail after an earthquake. In his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul raised up a young man after he fell out of the window of his preaching from the dead. We have some other miracles and stuff, but he also said some things in Acts chapter 19. Again, you don't have to turn there, but he describes special miracles like handkerchiefs and aprons being used to, to heal the sick and cast out demons. Also in Acts 19, we, he talks about uh, he cast out demons. He, he describes casting out demons in a manner that would lead one to believe that this was a common occurrence. In 1 Corinthians, we read how, you know, Again, in Corinthians, he, 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 when Paul is pre preaching and teaching his letter, he, uh, there's no recorded miracles in Corinthians. But yet Paul references the way the gospel was com confirmed to the Corinthians through miracles. Anyway, what the point I'm trying to make is that there wasn't a lot, uh, Paul didn't highlight a lot of the miracles and signs and wonders in ministry, but they were occurring all the time. They were so reoccurring. 
most of the book of Acts and, and most of his letters, Paul's teaching. But he, he didn't just teach. There were signs and wonders that followed his teaching. Now, am I making sense? Uh, he, they were there. I, 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 do, I can tell you this. They were in his, his ministry more than they are in ours. They, they were more regular than they, they, they are in many churches today. You know, to some churches today, I rarely see some people healed. I rarely see signs and wonders and whatnot. And I'm not, praise God for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through one of the gifts. And I praise God for that. I'm not trying to water it down. But if they were really happening like they, they should be, we would see people coming to Christ and coming to God by the masses. Okay? They shouldn't just be hit and miss. They should be the norm. They should be regular. It should be abnormal when it didn't work. You know, we, we talk about the, 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 the time when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon out of a boy who was throwing himself in the fire. They couldn't heal him. And they came to Jesus asking, why couldn't we do it? And we, we, we kind of ridiculed the disciples for not being able to heal the boy. But yet, we, we would be the same. <laughs> we would be the same. And, but I, I marvel and, I, and, I, and I, I applaud the disciples. It bothered them that the boy wasn't healed. It should bother us when we are not seeing the gift of God that we have working. It should bother us when we're asking the Father, when we're asking Jesus, why didn't it work? What's wrong? What did we do wrong? <coughs> that should be our response. It shouldn't bother. It shouldn't. Yeah, I guess it's exciting when it happens, but it should be happening so regularly, it should bother us when it doesn't. And yet, uh, the, yet the, the healing, yet some people, we've had people come to our church and come to our ministry, we get calls all the time, but some people, they want the healing and not the healer. They want the healing, but they don't want any relationship with him. They want provision, but they don't want the provider. They want wisdom. They want the signs. They want their prayers answered, but they don't want a relationship with God. I want people healed. I want us to see the signs and wonders. But the most important ingredient is having a relationship with God. And there's some people we see, that we see God do mighty work in their lives. <clears throat> and once they get their prayers answered, we don't see them anymore. Because all they wanted was their prayers answered. They didn't want God. And that's a sad commentary. I'm not trying to be mean, but, but they should draw us to God. And that doesn't mean we don't heal people. That doesn't mean we don't pray for people. That don't, you know, that's between them and God. We still are going to do things to bring glory and honor to Him. Now, I haven't, again, I haven't really got to the heart of what I want to get to, and I'm basically out of time for today. But let me just set the, the, the tone for next week. Is that okay? Uh, go with me to John, 7, John 17. A lot of this was just some introduction and just getting some things out there. Um, but next week we're going to really get to the heart of my message, at least start that path. Okay? John 17. And we'll pick up verse 1 in just a second. Again, let me give you a little backdrop of what's going on here. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Okay? He just, and, and this whole scene started in John 13. 
John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus just had the Passover supper with his disciples. He just washed their feet. He gave them a new command that we were supposed to love one another. And then he had several teachings about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. And now he's starting to pray. You know, you ever watch those movies? It might be a sport movie about a football team or basketball team. And right before the big game, the coach has a huddle with the team. Or it's on someone's deathbed. And what their last words are they going to say to their loved one. We see some of this in Genesis where Isaac wanted to bless his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Well, he wanted to bless, and the blessing was going to be on the elders. We see this a lot, where, especially if it's a king or someone of, uh, of some uh, prominent position. They want to give some, the blessing to their children. Those last words are very important. And these are Jesus's John 13 through 6, 17 here are Jesus' last words to his disciples before they go to the cross. And Jesus is praying something. Now, let me just throw this out there. Has Jesus ever prayed anything that didn't get answered? <laughs> everything, if prayer works, and it does, everything Jesus prayed is supposed to come to pass. Okay? I just throw that out there. But Jesus is praying. And when I see a prayer, Paul has some prayers that are recorded in, in Scripture, and we have some other prayers. I see through Paul and Jesus and others who pray in Scripture that they're pouring out their heart. There's something that they want us to get because they're pouring out their soul. They're pouring out their heart. There's something they're, they're expressing. I'm not going to read the whole prayer. I just want to read the first few verses. But uh, John 17 Beginning with verse 1, And Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want to pause there for a moment. Paul, Jesus is praying that we would have eternal life. And he also says what eternal life is. This is eternal life that they know you and that they know Jesus. Now we're going to be looking at several scriptures in the, in the next, starting next week how maybe the word God has not used although Trinity is never used in scripture Godhead is used we're going to see the Trinity, all three, the Godhead being used, being represented in every single thing. And if, if the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, don't you think we, if we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with Jesus, we also need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because this is the eternal life that we know Him. And Him is also includes the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, Jesus prays that we would know God. Jesus just finished teaching, and also, he just finished three chapters teaching on the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15, and 16, right before we get to the Spirit, Jesus spent his last words teaching on the Holy Spirit. He spent three chapters, his last teachings before he goes to the cross, to his most intimate disciples. He teaches about the Holy Spirit. And then he prays that we would know him. 
that we would be in relationship with him. Eternal life. Because eternal life is not the quantity of years. Yes, we'll live forever. But the key is we're going to live forever with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Everybody's going to live forever somewhere. Whether they live forever in hell or they live forever in God. Everyone's going to live forever somewhere. But eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is having a personal relationship with God. Just like the, like, you know, uh, you know this word no. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to wrap up for today. This word no. We're talking about knowing God. We're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. This word no that we're using interchangeably throughout this message and throughout the title of this message is, 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 is intimacy. It's the same, it's same intimacy between a husband and a wife. Where they're intimate with one another. It's talking about a very intimate personal relationship. It's not knowing about God. It's not just knowing about the Holy Spirit. It's knowing Him. There's a difference. A lot, some of you I know about you. But there's only one person in this room I know. <laughs> okay? In that level. And that's my wife. Okay? Um... But, but there's also a picture being painted here in, all, in some of these scriptures that we're going to get into is that our born again, just as a husband and wife are one as they know each other, so we are married to Christ and we are one flesh with Him. Our born again spirit is now one spirit with the Lord. And when, 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 just like a husband and wife, they get together, they know each other, what comes forth is a child. And so we can bear fruit. When we are one spirit with him, when we know him, and we are in one, we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. The, what comes out of it? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. The gifts are also there. The fruit, everything that the God is, everything that He represents, everything he's, he, he wants to do, there's a fruit, there's a byproduct, there's a fruitfulness. And how many know we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world that bring forth fruit. He just said this in, in, in the previous, in two chapters earlier in John 15, if we abide in Him, and he abides in us, we will bear fruit and fruit that remains. And part of that fruitfulness is abiding in the whole, because he was talking about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15, 16, he was talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He was saying, you have a, basically, I mean, I can just imagine, he's talking to his disciples, who he just had a very intimate relationship, friendship with for three and a half years. And he says, I'm going to go so you can have a friendship with the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we sometimes wish we lived back in their day where we could walk with Jesus three and a half years. Well, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, Jesus says, they would have rather have seen our day. We, have, we can have everything the disciples had and even more because we have the Holy Spirit. Everything you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus did, I just read it from John, we can do the works that he did and even more because we have the Holy Spirit. We can walk in water. We can feed the multitudes. We can heal the sick. We can raise the dead. We can do all these things. We can lead people to God. Because the disciples, all the miracles, were leading them to Jesus. 
A lot of times they went to a town to preach the kingdom of God. Here, they were forerunners. So every town they went to, a lot of times he sent them ahead of him so that when he came, he could preach the gospel to them and heal them and minister to them. But as they went by twos, the 12 and the 70, they were healing people. They were raising the dead. They were doing things. I mean, they were stirring up a crowd. You start healing everybody in town, people want to come. The whole city flocked at, at, at uh, when Jesus went to uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house and the whole city showed up at the door. You start raising the dead, you start healing people like God has said that we can do, people will begin to show up. Because people will spend millions of dollars for health care and all kinds of stuff for making them feel good and whatnot, uh, to, to, to make more money and whatnot, and but everything we need is in Christ. Healing, provision, everything we need. We have the words of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we have the greatest gift, but we need to know the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just talk about the Holy Spirit so we can operate in the gifts. Yes, I want to see us operate in the gifts. Yes, I want to see us operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I want to see signs and wonders, but not at the expense that we don't know the Holy Spirit. Because if you operate in all those things and you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, then me and all that other stuff is, what is beautiful becomes junk. And it's not junk, but in comparison to knowing him, it's nothing. It's useless without knowing him. It's about relationship with him. And out of the fruit of it, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our, our relationship, one of the byproducts one of the, 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 is seeing lives change. And, and, and some of those things, it, it's just have you know, there's just times where Sharon and I just have a good time together. The point of it is having a marriage. But the point of having a marriage is not just so we have a certificate in the, in the hand of drawer that says we're married. Or have a piece of jewelry on our, on our finger. But it's to enjoy the marriage. And sometimes it's not always a, a, a bed of roses because we have to do things. We have to pay bills. We have to do things and, and you know, and whatnot. And sometimes, you know, uh, we, we're imperfect and we do things wrong and we smell wrong and all these different things because of different things. It's just part of being humans, you know? I mean, when you go on that first date, you always smell your best, but sometimes uh, you don't always smell your best every single day, every single moment, you know? And, and I'm, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to be mean or crude. I'm just trying to be real, but you know, yesterday we went on a little walk and we went walk and walked in uh, in the nature a little bit. We just got we've been working a lot lately. We lately we just took some time off just to, to smell the flowers and, and enjoy each other's company, and it was worth it. We were both out of shape, especially me, and so you know there was a little uh, aching going on, uh, but it was still worth it. Let's have a relationship with God. And we're going to be talking about this. I barely got into the relationship part. I barely got into the knowing part. But that's where I'm going to be going with this. And uh, even if we go beyond that, I'm going to be staring everything back to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I hope it doesn't make sense. So tune in. Join us in the weeks to come. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I thank you for the new year coming. 2021. I know a lot of us, uh, 2020 has just been bad. But Lord, I just thank you that, Lord, you said you crowned our year with good, your goodness. And so we receive your goodness in the year to come. And I pray that as we start out 2021 with a bang, 
We are going to take 2021 with a relationship with the Holy Spirit that we have never had before. So that when we read verses like, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and He mm -hmm. has anointed us to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free, even those verses will just have new meaning to it. That's just vibrant with life. The Spirit of life. We just thank you for it. And help us, teach us. I pray that you would teach us, Holy Spirit. I can teach, I, but I, Lord, you are the teacher. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You are the guide. You are the helper. Teach us, counsel us, and teach us things that we do not even know. That we, we can walk in. We worship you. We magnify you. I bless everyone who's listening. And we'll listen to these messages. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Again, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And, and I know we're all looking forward to this. You know, we're really, we're all really to put 2020 in the envelope, you know. But uh, it's time to, it's a new day. It's a new hour. Good things are ahead. Amen. God bless. <clears throat>